Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to another edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Bubba, uh, we're about to meet a fascinating man. Uh, Dave Hanna, is, he's been around. His story is incredible. It's one of our favorite topic sports. Uh, and we'll unpack. Dave, of course, um, uh, has, has uh, been part of Athletes in Action. We'll talk about history's handful ambassadors of compassion. He is a fellow radio host. Uh, as a matter of fact, host uh, great moments in sports uh, and uh, actually played a little ball, Bubba. He's the pride of Alden, Iowa, uh, and uh, spent some time uh, on scholarship at Oklahoma State, played uh, for the Rams, uh, had an injury, and then holds uh, some unofficial world records in weightlifting. So, so he's been around. Yeah, but other than, that, around the ball. other than that, there's yeah. not a lot to talk about with Dave. Dave Hanna, welcome to Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. We're glad to be with you guys. Well, um, I, I was talking uh, with uh, an acquaintance of yours um, um, that I that I am in Sunday school with, and I was hearing your story and all the things uh, you have been involved in. But uh, I knew pretty quick, uh, as it was suggested, you'd be a great podcast uh, topic. So l- let's talk a little bit about. Um, did I say that right? That you're you're, you're for, is it Alden, Iowa, or Alden, Iowa? No, it's Alden, Iowa. Alden, Alden Iowa. So uh, that that's where you grew up. Where do you live now? I live in Southern California. Oh, <coughs> Dave. I mean, what, what, from from <laughs> Iowa to Southern California, and and I guess uh, was it the Rams that that brought you to Southern California? Is that is that how that started? Yeah, I did. Uh, football helped me a lot. I grew up in this little town in uh, Alden, Iowa, and people say, uh, "Where is that?" And I just tell them it's between Buckeye and Popejoy. <laughs> so dave this all started early on it looks like you were quite the uh high school athlete uh and you won you were selected all state in four sports wow. is that correct no i guess so that's right <clears throat> and uh, i played four sports in a little tiny town you had to play four sports because there weren't enough kids otherwise and uh, fortunately, I was a pretty good athlete. And for some reason, Oklahoma State University heard about me about 650 miles south. And they, they scouted me one football game and one basketball game. And fortunately, I didn't know they were scouting me. I'd have probably choked. But it uh, turns out I played the, probably the best two games of my life in each sport. So they thought I was worth the scholarship. We didn't have any game films in those days. So they had to go with what they saw. And so they offered me a football and a basketball scholarship. And I uh, figured football was my best shot. So anyway, I went to Oklahoma State, had a great four years. Uh, of course, I played back when you went both ways. And um, that was a long, long, <laughs> long time ago. Freshmen weren't eligible when I played. So I had three good varsity years and, and uh, ended up uh, coming out with the Los Angeles Rams. Football got me out of that cold Iowa weather and worked my way south and then west. I'm so, I, say, I'm, yeah. Dave, I'm curious. I, I'm going to say I bet three of your sports were football, basketball, and baseball. What was the fourth? Track. So, uh, so what did you do in track? Throw something heavy? 
<laughs> well, actually, I ran the 120-yard high hurdles. <clears throat> I gave the opening um, of the 440. I ran the first leg of the 440 relay. I did the high jump, and in Iowa, um, years ago, they had the javelin. Well, somebody threw a javelin one time and killed a coach. What? So they shifted the javelin throw to the football throw. So oh, I did the no. football throw and high jump, and then I ran two events. So somebody threw the javelin and killed a coach? Yep. Dave, that's, that can happen. That's not funny, but it sounds like something out of a movie. It does. Well, that, now that that'll that'll turn into the football throw at that yeah, point. It will. So so tell us then. You 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 do well in college. You've done great in high school. Obviously, athletics is a foundation of your life. Then you get an opportunity to play professional football, uh, and I know it was a different league then uh, with the Los Angeles Rams. Tell us what happened with the Rams. Actually, uh, maybe to go back to my personal story a little bit. My junior year at Oklahoma State, I became a, a believer in Christ. And he dramatically changed my life. Being a football player and being well-known on the campus, I got pretty active in trying to have an impact in the lives of students, which is kind of an interesting story that leads to athletes in action a sure. little, little bit later on. But, but with that beginning and that good, you know, good start, I decided that I was going to join campus crusade staff or as they call crew staff right now. And so I told the, 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 remember that's when we had the two, two separate leagues, the NFC or NFL and the AFL. And so I told both leagues, look, don't waste a draft on me because I'm going to go into Christian work, but I never lost my desire to play. And so two years later, <clears throat> I ended up signing with the Rams and all of that was actually to be a part of starting and launching Athletes in Action. So let me stop there for a second. So the, the, when, when, but with the Rams, it, it was something, though, that you did have an injury that cut your uh, time there short, right? Yeah. Actually, I was, I was, I was uh, injured before I came to camp. I okay. tore the ligaments between my legs, and <laughs> they were giving me cortisone shots every day between my legs, which was – Kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. And it, was George, it was George Allen's first year uh, as a head coach of the Rams. And he wanted me to go to a team in the Continental League and then come come back when I was I was healthy. And so I felt like, you know, I was my calling was to start athletes in action. And if I hadn't been healed at that point in time, maybe I ought to focus my energies there. Now, years later. Uh, George Allen and I worked on trying to bring an NFL team to Memphis, Tennessee, which we obviously didn't get it there, but uh, I got to know George pretty well years later. So let's talk about athletes in action. Uh, you're involved in a number of things. So you've told us the foundation of that started with you coming to be a, a follower of Christ your junior year at Oklahoma State. You went into the league, uh, and and what what how did that start and, and let the audience know that may have never heard of it. What, what does athletes in action? What, what, what's the goal? What does it do? How does it work? Well, athletes in action now is in, I don't know, 160, 170 countries of the world. In the days that, that, that I ran athletes in action, we were putting together athletic teams. For example, the whole purpose of athletes in action was to give athletes a chance to come to faith in Christ. And then in the end result, to, to use their platform of sports to share their faith. So we had um, the athletes in action basketball team. That team played 
Um, every we played major colleges, 30 games every year against major colleges. Our guys were college graduates. And back in those days, we almost became a household name. But that was back until the, about the end of the 80s before changes occurred in the NCAA rules. And during that period of time, we beat the Russian Olympic team five times, represented the United States at the World Championships. So as the Orange County Register that used to follow us out here in, in Southern California, they'd say, they beat you up in the first half. They share the gospel with you the second half and at halftime, and they beat you up in the second half. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can appreciate this being, being believers, but in the early days, we had good teams, but not great teams. It took a while to get there. So when we would lose at first, they would say, well, what do you expect? They're Christians. Then after we started beating all the top teams, they said, what do you expect? They're pros. So the whole issue is the way, way you know, way people look at it. I remember uh, John Wooden. You guys would probably remember that name. Still mm -hmm. probably the greatest basketball coach and certainly in college history. And I used to get together with him pretty regularly. And I remember this was after he won like his fourth national championship, and we were still trying to figure out how to get our basketball team to the to the top. So I'm talking to John, and I said, "How can we build a team that can beat you?" And John said, "You can't." <laughs> and, and at that point I could understand, but he said, Dave, I got three pieces of advice I can give you. Number one, you need a better coach. Well, I kind of figured that one out, but when John <laughs> said it, then I realized I needed to. Secondly, you got to have better talent. And third, you got to hire one of the refs. <laughs> and so that one caught my attention because the other two, I understood that. I said, explain this to me, John. He said, well, look, your game is an exhibition game. It doesn't count on their schedule, but the coaches obviously want to win that game. And so what happens at the college ranks uh, for a referee to become a conference referee, they have to get approved by, you know, coaches, I guess. So those referees want to become a referee in the conference. So if it's a close game, Dave, you'll never win them because those referees are wanting to please the coach. Well, I didn't know that. Okay. At the time. Right. So I said, well, will the coaches agree to it? And he said, yeah, I think so. So we built it in the contract. Those were the days you had two, two refs. So we would hire one and they hired one and we would simply hire a good referee from a different conference. So it wasn't their, it wasn't their own. And, and I could, I could give you some interesting stories, but I'm not sure I want to name names here. <laughs> <laughs> well, but you're in saying, that, your yeah. it, but you're saying it was good advice from coach. It, it did work. Yeah. And well, as soon as we, well, all three things happened. First of all, we, we did get a new coach, a top coach. We did recruit some of the top players. You wouldn't remember now, but Ralph Drawlinger played for John Wooden at UCLA and he was seven, two and three quarters center. <laughs> and he was one of our key players when we, when we beat uh, uh, the Russian Olympic team, uh, many, many, you know, the five times that we, we played him and beat him. And so it, it was, uh, it was quite an experience. And then we traveled all over the world. You know, we played the uh, Chinese Olympic team in China and they actually let us talk about our faith. Now, I don't know what the translator said, but, <laughs> right, that's right. True. but in English, we did share the gospel. Okay. <laughs> all right. When we come back, I want to ask you some questions about this, the organization, you know, obviously you've given us the history of it, but also some of the messages that you were talking about and also talk about, you know, some of the things we see now 
and athletics uh, and, and the state of athletics uh, when we come back uh, on this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Our guest today on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, Dave Hanna, uh, he has quite the story uh, and uh, started Athletes in Action, uh, also History's Handful, Ambassadors of Compassion, uh, has his own radio show, Great Moments in Sports. It's on 200 stations nationwide and uh, was a standout athlete in high school, college, uh, uh, was with the Rams, got injured during camp, uh, went, went on to unofficially exceed 14 world records in, in weightlifting. But you mentioned about athletes in action before the break, and you talked about this uh, exhibition basketball team you guys had and that uh, a lot of people that covered you would say they beat you up in the first half, they present the gospel at halftime, then they beat you up again in the second half. And then if you guys lost, they would say, well, what do you expect? It's a bunch of Christians. <laughs> um, and then if you won, you'd say, what do you expect? They're all pros. I want to take on that, and I, and I know this is uh, at the heart of, of what you're doing too, and and uh, and Bubba and I both um, – uh, you know, know that men's ministry is is so so crucial, and we we spend a, a lot of time uh, and have even put together a, a discipleship strategy for men. But one of the things that I that I that you run into a lot is that we I think have allowed uh, followers of Christ to be portrayed. Uh, the Bible does not portray them this way, uh, but especially the males that somehow they're passive people. Uh, men are not really drawn to it because they think, well, Jesus has also been betrayed as a hippie. Uh, and I think a lot of times men are not drawn to the faith, especially being serious about their faith and immersing themselves in the church is because incorrectly they perceive it as this means they're going to become these passive, uh, you know, pushover feminine men. Uh, and, and, of course, that's not biblically correct. Uh, but uh, but speak to that a little bit uh, because I know this is something that you've been been portraying uh, and dealing with as well. Well, <clears throat> those were big issues, especially back in the days when I started Athletes in Action, because I would share with uh, you know with different people, and they said, "Well, you know, athletes—they're ungodly. They play on Sunday. Why would you spend your time with athletes?" Well, I just knew I was called number one to do that and then number two <clears throat> it turned out as we got started there were a lot of christian athletes but in those days the attitude was kind of like if you were a christian you had to be a sissy you had to be a weakling and hey if you played football you know or you wrestled you were a really tough guy so it was they just viewed christianity sort of like you're saying incorrectly what happened is in in the early days <clears throat> Fairly early into this, a gentleman named Dr. Ira Eshelman started chapel services with NFL teams. And then he and I started talking. And he said, man, we need chaplains. So just so you know this, I put the first group of chaplains, about 12 guys that worked for me in Athletes in Action, became the very first chaplains with all the NFL teams. And of course, as you know, all the pro teams have chaplains today in virtually all sports, and it's grown all, all over the world. So all of a sudden, first of all, the coaches were saying, Christians, they're there. Yeah, what about them? You know, they're, they're weak. They're not going to be tough. Then what happened is some of their top athletes became believers, and they saw that they improved their athletic performance. They didn't get in trouble. They didn't have near the problems. And the whole attitude toward Christianity and sports began to change. 
And of course, I think it's continued over the years. For example, one of the groups that was huge for us and continues to be huge was wrestling. Since I went to Oklahoma State, all the years I was at Oklahoma State, Oklahoma State was undefeated national champ all four years in wrestling. So I, I never wrestled because they didn't have it available in my town, but but I became a great wrestling fan. And then we started wrestling kind of early on. And that's how I met Steve. He joined one of our, our wrestling teams. And today, Athletes in Action wrestlers are impacting, continue to impact the whole world. And so I think the whole attitude, at least in the sports world, of being a Christian and being a great athlete has completely changed because you have so many uh, great athletes today that are strong, solid believers. And so it's ex exciting to kind of see what's developed. But when we first started, the attitude was pretty much was pretty much that way. And in the early days, we'd win maybe 50 to 60 percent of our games. And then we had a string in there of about 120 basketball games and we lost one, wow. one game in a, and playing all the games on the on the road. So. I think that the, well, I can't say because I've been away from the sports for a while, but, but I ran AIA for the first 22 years. And then my boss, Bill Bright, who was the founder of, of crew or campus crusader crew challenged me to take the responsibility to try to raise a billion dollars so we could take the Jesus film to the world. So I sort of shifted from sports and I haven't been in sports as directly, although right now I'm working with coaches all over the, all over the country with our ambassador compassion program. I want to ask you some specific stuff, though. When I was, he mentioned Steve. He's talking about Steve Gadosh, who been a very decorated uh, wrestling coach and uh, is is a friend of mine, and actually coached one of my sons um, early on, and that's how I got introduced to Dave Hanna. So, but Dave, he was telling me some of the things that. If you had advice to to say parents today, because there's all kinds of confusion out there about my my kid is wanting to enter into sports, and it's almost become now that if I haven't hired a a specialist for for my kid and my kid's not involved in some travel uh, league and traveling all over the place and playing tournaments every weekend, of course, sadly a lot of times on Sunday. Uh, and he doesn't have a, a, a coach that teaches him this and a coach that teaches him that that we're paying for on the side, then that the, the, that that uh, that my, my child has no chance uh, to develop as an athlete. Do, do you see this trend as something positive, uh, something negative, or do you have any advice uh, for parents that 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 want their kids to be able to maximize their God-given athletic ability? <laughs> Well, that's an interesting question. I, you know, I would say this is the world we, we live in today. For example, you got a quarterback just a kind of little school down the road from you, University of Alabama, right? <laughs> and with the new rules, the new NIL rules, if I remember right, don't hold me the exact figures, but I think he, he was getting $8 million before he'd actually started his first game, you know, last year. And, and um, one of the coaches, the high school coaches that I work with out here, actually coached Bryce in his freshman year and then coached him all four years on seven on seven. And, and the truth is college, I don't know how it's going to go in college football with, the, with all the new rules. It used to be, you know, if you were giving money to players that was under the table and you got penalized if they caught you. Right. Yeah. Everything, everything is changing in sports. So it used to be, you got to work really hard. 
And if your kid has four good years or two or three good years of college, she can make a lot of money. Now, uh, this actual coach that coached Bryce, his quarterback this year signed it at the University of Tennessee, and he's gonna he's getting eight million dollars as a from whatever company's paying him that money. So here's a kid right out of high school getting eight million, just like <laughs> Bryce did, and it's it's gonna happen everywhere. So if you think there's been pressure in the past to put your kid in a deal to get there, now four two or three years earlier, your kid can make millions of dollars. You tell me what's going to happen. Yeah, it, it's not pretty. And, and that, that, I think that's only going to add to the pressure. Maybe, uh, you know, at first yeah. you just wanted your kid to be able to play college. Now you're thinking, well, my kid might be able to make good money. Well, and now that the money's in it, you think, Hey, uh, junior can pay the house off. You yeah. Know? I, I, so, and, and now, so now it becomes an investment, not just uh, a, a plan to play sport. Yeah. So now you're going to have all these organizations popping up. And I think some of them are good. Don't misunderstand me. But now can you imagine the organizations popping up? We're not just saying, come to us and we'll get your kid a, a Division One scholarship. Now it's going to be, come to us and we can find a way for your kid to make millions yeah. of dollars playing college football. Or baseball or whatever. Yeah, I think the dust is yet to settle on that. Um, the NCAA, I wish, had got out in front of this, but unfortunately they didn't. And, uh, you know, we're free market people. We think that uh, some of that is good, but it's uh, like so many things, what starts out good can sometimes get out of control, and the NCAA's kind of lost control of it now, so I, we don't know where it's going to go. Well, and, and no, and, and we don't, and we don't. And I think you've got a lot of good people that are going to, are going to work on it, you know? So let's hope that, you know, they can, they can manage it and control it. It's just that they didn't make the decision to open that up, but now it's, it's open. And there's yeah. been a lot of argument on, Hey, these kids work hard and the schools make a lot of money on them. So I can understand the argument on both, both sides, but I think a lot of this is to be seen because, Parents are going to be pushed more than ever. You know, for example, when I was playing f- football, when I signed with the Rams, the number one draft pick uh, got $50,000. That was his salary. And, you know, they paid me <laughs> what I would call back then some good money to, to play with the Rams. But the kind of money that people made there was nothing. It's just yeah. incomparable compared to what they're getting paid today. And so – the emphasis of sports has, has changed a lot. It's a, it's a lot tougher and parents are, parents are doing all they can to give their kid a chance. Now you got a lot of parents. We work with a lot of schools that would be, you know, in the, maybe in the tougher area. Uh, and these kids don't have the same, their parents don't have the money to, to give them the same opportunities, but, um, but they're going to face those, those, a lot of those same issues, you know? And so, I guess we'll just have to see where it goes. What, what do you think? We can we get to the point? Like I remember when my kids were playing, and that wasn't that long ago. I mean, my kids, my my youngest is twenty one, so it wasn't that long ago. And you had, I'm just going to use baseball for an example. You had, you know, your local baseball for youth. Yeah. Okay. And everybody would go play, and and it would be fun. It would be competitive. Uh, but the kids still then got home, you know, to ride the bicycle and play in the creek and, you know, have a, a balanced life. And, and, and so, but then travel ball comes in and then you start getting that, 
well, my kid's not very good if he's not on travel ball team. You know, and then the, the, the you've seen in some communities where the baseball for youth, the Dizzy Dean or whatever you called it, what you know is is almost vanishing because if it's travel ball or nothing. And so I want to come back and I, I want to talk ask you a question uh, because I've seen it happen. You know, are we setting up an environment where even some some kids that maybe had some ability and and could do well? By the time they get to where it actually matters, they won't know part of it anymore. Yeah. Uh, so we'll talk about that when we come back with with Dave Hanna, our guest today on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. All right, so Bubba, let's talk Tommy John. Tommy John, Tommy John. Uh, did, and we're not talking about the elbow surgery. Did you just get you some some new Tommy John? I did. Set? I did. Yeah. And uh, did, did you, matter of fact, us talking about it reminded me I needed to get some more. Yeah. And yeah. and and we we love Tommy John and the products that they put out. I mean, and and with the heat wave that is upon <laughs> us, and I know it's affecting a lot of people. Is there anybody in the country that's that's not doing the heat right? Well, we got it worse than everybody. Yeah, I we think. do. The the Tommy John underwear is designed to, to keep us cool. Uh, and you might be thinking, well, Rick, how in the world does it do that? It, they, it just doesn't make you feel cooler. You actually are cooler, uh, up to seven degrees cooler than cotton. Uh, and, uh, and this is one you might want to look at, Tommy John's Apollo underwear, uh, because it, it really does, and the, and the way it handles the, the body sweating uh, and all that, that it's, it's designed for you to stay dry and to stay cool. Uh, 17 million pairs have been sold. Uh, there's no risk because you're covered with Tommy John's best pair you ever wear or its free guarantee. Uh, and uh, so uh, if, if you're out there in the summer heat, you could be much cooler if you would just go to the breathable, lightweight fabric, uh, four times the stretch of the competing brands, comfort innovations. You look and feel cool. You look great and you feel cool the whole season even if you're outside or maybe you're just lounging around the house. Uh, so why don't you be like us and enjoy Tommy John? Go to TommyJohn.com slash Rick Bubba right now and, and save 20% off the first order. That's 20% off right now at TommyJohn.com slash Rick Bubba. Again, TommyJohn.com slash Rick Bubba. See the site for all the details. Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, uh, we are chatting with Dave Hanna. Uh, Dave Hanna has uh, been working in uh, in sports and around sports uh, uh, for years and years and years, um, and, and is now uh, still uh, working with coaches and and uh, has a, a little bit of everything going on. He actually was part of starting athletes in action campus crusade for Christ. So I asked the question when we were uh, going to that uh, to that break. With all this pressure we're seeing now with the NIL, and it's always been pressure. You know that your kid gets to gets to big time college and maybe to be a, a pro, and we know the odds of that are not all that high. My concern, Dave, is are we creating an environment where these sports aren't fun anymore for children? Well, I would say certainly. Uh, there's it's it's not a, it's not a, just a game to play and enjoy. It's a lifestyle, and they're, the parents, if they're really hoping that their child will end up in the NFL or pro baseball or pro basketball or any of the other sports now, and there's so many that are developing, they're they're pressuring their kids. And it's interesting because we work the what I do now with Ambassadors of Compassion. We're we're dealing with the tremendous um, anxiety, mental health issues suicide tendencies among kids. And if you see to suicides, the tendency 
out here, well, all over the country, is you got the starting quarterback uh, making four-point grade average, and he kills himself. Right. Or the girl that's the cheerleader, she's on the soccer team and making good grades and real popular and kills herself. Well, why are kids that are some of our most successful high school kids taking their lives? And every year now, over 2 million kids, according to the National Alliance on Mental Health, said over 2 million kids are attempting suicide every year. Now, most don't succeed, but about 750,000 end up in the hospitals of those that, that try and don't succeed. So it's a huge issue. And this was all pre-COVID. It's grown dramatically since then. So with that, why are kids that are the most successful taking their lives? And I've talked to a number of parents who have lost a child to suicide, mm. and none of them had the foggiest idea. But I think it's because the, the um, maybe sometimes without realizing it, parents put this tremendous pressure on their kids. If you think about it, if you want to go to certain university, you can't make any mistakes or you'll never get there. If you want to be a star and make a, a fortune, you can't make any mistakes. So a lot of these kids feel this incredible pressure that you're describing and the solution they've come up with is to take their life. Mm. So, you know, you know, too, yeah, Dave, being a little older now, you, you look back and you think about the things that we felt pressure right, from right. growing up and, and how important uh, sports could be, you know, having friends, uh, having, you know, people to date and all that kind of stuff. And, and at the time it seemed extremely important. Maybe you got your heart broke by a female or something, but as you get older, you realize it just wasn't that important at that, you know, even though then it seemed like it was a monumental mountain to climb. Now you realize how silly and how passing some of that was. Well, no, I think as you get older, you do look at it differently. You know, I never pushed my my sons into sports hard. Now, my oldest son, Eric, uh, who I work with now on a regular basis because he and I are doing Ambassador Compassion, he did get a full scholarship, started as a freshman at the University of Colorado. Unfortunately, he was in a car accident, and he was in the back seat, but he ended up having to have back surgery, came back, pretty well had won the starting job. And then the, again, and the doctor said he couldn't play because of his back. So he was a member of the national championship Colorado team, but he didn't play that year. <clears throat> but um, I, I, there's just a lot of pressure that didn't exist when I was playing. You know, when I was playing, you had to have an off season job, you know, nowadays yeah. in the pro world, you got, you don't have an off season job. You just do the sport all year round. Right. But you didn't make enough money in those days. And then you think about it, you want to think of the pressure is because now all the, the entities are out there and they're telling the school, here's the top 300 best football players or best basketball players. You know, I would have never made that because they, they wouldn't go down and check a little town like mine. So in today's world, I'm sure I would have never gotten a college scholarship, but I was able to get it then because they were out looking for people and they didn't, you know, and nobody was keeping track of all of them. So there is, so much pressure in sports today that didn't exist a few years ago. Now, how is it going to turn out? I don't know. You know, human beings generally are pretty resilient and that's what we're struggling with more to today's world. Kids are less resilient than they've ever been. And that's what our whole program exists to try to help build resiliency, deal with mental health issues. And I work with coaches all over the country and I can tell you story after story of the struggles that are going on today 
will they last? You know, will life go back to normal if, if and when we ever get past COVID? Or is there going to be another COVID come along? I, I don't know the answers to any of those, but but our kids are in a far worse situation now than they've ever been in any stage of, of my life. I've never seen a time where it's this difficult for kids. Dave, I want to ask you too, and shift gears just a little bit before we run out of time, because I, I know that it's getting away from us. Tell us about your radio show. <laughs> well, I haven't done that for quite a while. <laughs> right. well, when it was on, though, tell yeah, us yeah, about yeah. what 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 was that all about? It was it was a it was a fascinating show. It was a it was a I don't know short show, like a fifteen minute daily show, and I was on three or four hundred stations. And this was years ago when I was still running athletes in action. So we took great moments of sports and we would tell the story, you know, and, and then we would go into there and in a little bit of a personal side. So I had, I had some incredible stories and I used to, and I used to tell, you know, uh, for example, um, the name Fielding Yost probably doesn't mean anything to you today, but Fielding Yost was one of Michigan's great head football coaches <laughs> and they were playing their arch rival, Ohio State mm -hmm. in Columbus, Ohio, you know, right before Thanksgiving. And of course, this was a long, long time ago. So he brought his team back in and he gave one of his fiery pep talks, you know, and he said, now mighty men of Michigan, go out that door to victory. And his players charged out the door that coach Yost pointed to. The problem was that door didn't lead to the football field, but it led to the swimming pool. That's a true story. <laughs> Oh no. That's no. Are you kidding? No, that's a did, true story. They didn't get wet, did they? They they not only got wet because <laughs> the guys were charging out, and usually the first, you know, your starters were first, and yeah, and it was like two steps, you know, when you're in the right, pool. Right. And on those days, they didn't have fancy locker rooms or anything like they had today, right? So so about a half the team, including all your starters, end up in the pool. And it's a freezing cold day in Columbus, Ohio. And of course, they didn't have extra uniforms. They didn't have anything in those days. So that mighty men of mighty team of Michigan went out there to defeat. So I that's just an example of one story. And I haven't told that one for a long time, but that's it. I didn't even a, know a, it. I, I don't guess uh, well, how, when you were doing the show, what all I can think of in the world of podcasts now, somebody needs to find those archives. I know. And it needs to be on some sort of podcast where you can go and access all those shows you did. No, I, I, I actually have them. They're, they're amazing stories. For example, what football team swam for a touchdown? What, what, what? It, happened, it happened to be in the annual battle between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, which is where I went to school. And this, of course, was a long time ago. And the football field was an open field, and there was a little bit of a river or a creek about seven or eight, nine yards behind the goalpost. And in those days, they didn't have a 10-yard end, and it was just kind of open. Right. And Oklahoma State guy punted, and they blocked the punt, and it rolled back into the end zone, rolled into that creek, and an Oklahoma guy ran back there, jumped into that into that water, swam out, and recovered the ball for a touchdown. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, and, uh, I, I wish this show was still on, Dave. You got to find these archives. So I mean, we we got to hear these. Uh, you know what the longest touchdown run in college football history was? No, I don't. 
remember, I'm telling you this, and I haven't told it for a while, but it was in the annual battle between Lafayette and Lehigh University. And I forget now which one. Let's say Lehigh was ahead six to nothing. We're in the end of the ball game. They've got the ball and they're driving down or Lafayette's driving down to score the touchdown to, to win the game. And they're down around the five or six yard line and they're, and they hand the ball off and the guy rolls to the right and he gets hit once, twice, three times spinning around and all of a sudden breaks loose and starts running for a touchdown in the wrong direction. No, no. So now he's running, you know, 95 yards down the field in the wrong direction and his teammates are running behind him hollering at him he's running the wrong way and finally just as he runs into the other end zone he realizes what he's done so now he turns around and his teammates have been chasing him so now they become a blocking wall and he dodges and weaves his way all the way back into the other end zone for the winning touchdown so what what was so, the uh, what, 195 yards? 195 yards? <laughs> about 200 yards, I guess, if you figure it out. Pretty close to 200-yard run, you know, you get one touchdown. Well, um, I mean, those are, you, I gave you three stories, and I haven't even thought about those stories in the last 20 years, so well, I'm glad I re- pretty well remembered it. Well, being radio guys, we saw that uh, that your time in radio – and uh, and definitely wanted to find out, and it did produce some gold. We'll be back. Dave Hanna is our guest when Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, continues. All right, so we, we, we talked about this on the show, the, the big show that runs Monday through Friday uh, uh, all over the country, this very, very big problem, and that is where in the world do I go to try to find products that I have to have that doesn't compromise the things that I hold dear. Getting harder and harder. Well, I have good news. I want to point you to Patriot Mobile. Uh, PatriotMobile.com slash Rick Bubba, or you can call them at 972-Patriot. I mean, now, free speech, religious liberty, the Second Amendment. I mean, we're talking about the attacks on these things almost daily. Uh, the constitutional rights are under constant attack. It seems to get worse, but this is a good reason for you to support Patriot Mobile. They're, they're not just America's only Christian conservative cell phone provider. They're, they're one of the few companies that are fighting back. They offer the same nationwide coverage as the major carriers, so you get the same great service plus the peace of mind that your money is combating the left's attempt to silence you. Patriot Mobile has plans to fit any budget, and their 100% U.S.-based customer support team provides exceptional customer service. Patriot Mobile shares the values and supports the organizations that you uh, love, the, the ones that are fighting for religious freedom, constitutional rights, and the sanctity of life. And, of course, the veterans and first responders, they're heroes, and they they get even bigger discounts. So get free activation with the offer code RICKBUBBA. Offer code Rick Bubba, and remember, veterans and first responders, we're getting you even a little more. Uh, so go now. You do have a choice, and you don't have to compromise the quality of the coverage. Go to patriotmobile.com slash Rick Bubba. Dave Hanna is our guest uh, on this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, and uh, he has done uh, a little bit of everything. Uh, he has. He, we talked about athletes in action. We've talked about now great moments in sports. Um, and, and from 1990 to 2003, uh, you were, uh, you, you, you had leadership in history's handful. And this was, uh, this was raising money. Uh, like you were talking about, you mentioned it in passing, but the money you were asked to raise, which was a billion dollars, the goal was to try to get the gospel to every single person on planet earth. 
by the year 2000. That, that was that was the goal. In other words, if we could raise a billion dollars, we thought we could take the Jesus film, right. which now is in over, I don't know, 1500 languages. And, and uh, we had we could do, uh, document by the end of the year 2000. We obviously didn't get to the six billion people, but we probably could document four billion people that have seen the Jesus film all over the world. In other words, I mean, literally, we would take a, a mule with a with a projector and a and a power source and literally go to the tribes all over the world. So we went everywhere, television all over the world. We did national television in Russia during that time. Amazing. So I then oversaw the, the fundraising and we partnered a lot with the Jesus film itself. And together with all of our efforts, we raised over a billion dollars during that period of time. And we were able to demonstrate that about 4 billion people had seen the Jesus film. Of course, we still did all the other things, AIA and all the other things we were doing as well, campus and wow. ministry all over the world. Well, and, and now, as you mentioned, uh, since 2004, you, you've, you've been full-time in Ambassadors of Compassion. And, and you mentioned that, but uh, I, I kind of want to wrap it up because uh, landing there, because you're, there's a lot that you guys are doing. Uh, and one of the things is, uh, back to these goals again, is to reach a million students by 2024. Uh, and you talked about some of the problems that you are seeing, but uh, what are some other things that ambassadors of compassion do? I, I see here there's a food distribution with Tyson Foods, and, and, and tell us exactly what goes on in the organization uh, comprehensively. No, no. Yeah, thank you. That's what we're, we're doing now. Let me, let me explain. It's very important because we work in public schools all across the country. Our program is taught during school hours. And so our program is non-political, non-religious organization that takes real life principles in. And our goal is to help really build resiliency and mental health and leadership back into our kids. And when I was growing up, I think most every parent thought it was their job to teach kids life values. So schools, if you think about it, in those days focused on reading, writing, arithmetic, and other things along that line. And I think what's occurred is our world has gone along now. Parents will put in the hands of their kids when they're two or three years old, you know, a cell phone or a pad to keep the kind of quiet the kids down. And the kids now live on that. So they're getting their information from social media. Now, you still got plenty of good families that are doing it, but I think greater and greater parents are not teaching real life skills to their kids. What do you have to do if you're going to be successful in life? How do you actually become resilient? And one of the guys I work with, Michael Bounds, who was the uh, um, the lawyer in charge of the University of Alabama systems for a number of years, he, he, he ran all three. Uh, he, he ran the the board of trustees for all three University of Alabama systems. And he brought our program into Alabama because they were having some challenges with fraternity and sorority kids. And then he's taught it in high school and colleges continues to it to this day. And he said, you know, one of our biggest problems is our four point plus kids in some regard are our least resilient kids. Yeah. Because what mom and dad have done is that they've protected them from everything so that they can make those four points. So they haven't, experience failure. They haven't experienced difficulty because everybody's protecting them. So now they get away to college and everybody else they're competing against has a four point or, or something about there. Then a kid gets a, a C, you know, and, and, and we were working with kids with them and the kids says, I've got to kill myself. I can never go back home. I got a C. Yeah. 
because he never made less than an A in high school. So I'm using that as just one of the examples of the challenges that this generation of kids are facing. And, and as I work with schools, since COVID, they're dealing with problems and issues they've never dealt with before. I mean, I could, I could take time, which I won't go into and cover a lot of the issues, but our whole goal is to come in, take strong life values that, that should be being taught at home. And, and now the schools are saying, we've got to do it because if kids are, have mental, major mental health issues, they're not focusing, they're not interested in making A's or four point, and they're having to deal with these huge problems in the schools. So our goal then in the next several years is to take the ambassador of compassion program. We've, we've done this for 12 years. We have amazing, incredible measurements in terms of life-changing things. And, and I'm working with business guys and companies across the country. And they're saying, man, we're having trouble getting employees. We're, at, we're struggling with good employees. We're struggling with people taking responsibility. What's going to happen to our country? Yeah. And so our, our kids are the future of our country. And we have, we have a, a, a plan. If you're familiar at all with uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, Tipping Point, he said that if you can get 6% of a group really committed to that over time, that 6% could change the whole group. Well, a million high school kids happens to be 8% of the high school kids in America. So our goal is to put in the next one to two years, a million kids uh, through the program. And I haven't even covered what the program is, but we're talking about a program designed to really help change kids' lives help them come to grips with the real issues of life and start making basic decisions for real quick. For example, the life program, I'll use that as an example. Ellis for labor, kind of unique concept. If you want to succeed in life, you need to work. Yeah. So then we help, we help kids think through what, what do I want to do later on? And then influence is huge, good influences and bad influences. And I work in a lot of the title one schools out here and you got gangs everywhere around those kids. So these kids get into gangs, you know, so when they go into that, they go into their journal and said, who's been a positive influence in your life? Well, it might be mom and dad or teacher or friend or grandparent. Who are the negatives? You usually have two or three times more on those. Then we say, well, the positive influences in your life help you achieve your goals and dreams. And the kids will say, oh, yeah. Then what about all these negative influences? Well, they, uh, no, I never thought about it before. So then we go in and help them. How do you get rid of those negative influences and how do you change and where do you find positive influences? And then the F is forgiveness. And of course we're dealing with, there's a lot of research out that if you stay angry with people all your life, you're going to have diseases later in your life that could yeah. shorten your life. So learning to forgive everything from parents to other people is critical. And this has been a really big deal. And then the E for us is experiences. We start off negative experiences don't have to destroy your life. And we're dealing with a lot of kids that have had a lot of negative experiences. So we start with a powerful two-hour training program. Then the kids go through 10 weeks. They're in small groups. And then we train the people. And they really get in and they start talking to each other. Now they come to grips. And they've got to take a project to help change their city. And now we're beginning to work on getting businesses uh, city leaders and the schools working together so our kids can start helping maybe rebuild compassion in America in their community. Dave, thank you. That, that's incredible. Ambassadors of compassion. And I, 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 I think it's needed now 
more than ever because we got kids, as you said, that haven't been taught to persevere facing things that require perseverance. Dave Hanna, thank you so much for your time today, brother, and thank you for what you've done. A fascinating story, and thanks to all of you for joining us on this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast.